If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. Today, we're recording from the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference in San Diego, where I'm talking with the amazing Kristen Sucra. Kristen is a professional storyteller, executive producer at StoryFind Films, licensed mental health practitioner, and a national speaker. She has worked with large international nonprofits, small shops, and everything in between to bring their stories to life and to help them accomplish their fundraising goals. Kristen began her career as a mental health counselor, but soon found herself immersed in the world of film production for nonprofits. Through her work at StoryFind Films, she has worked with hundreds of individuals to give voice to their stories, all while helping nonprofit organizations raise millions of dollars through storytelling. Kristen's greatest passion is helping people find their voice and share their stories with the world. When she's not on the road, interviewing or speaking like she is this week, Kristen lives in the great state of Nebraska with her husband and business partner, Mike, her daughter, Izzy, and a black fluffy cat named Lily. And Kristen just published a new book called Story Find, the handbook for finding and telling your nonprofit's most impactful stories, which just came out a couple of weeks ago. Now, Kristen generously invited me to pre-read the manuscript, and it really is something special. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, I'm so thrilled. So if you would start by telling us a little bit about the inspiration behind your session here at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference titled Story Finding, Three Steps to Finding Your Best Stories. Sure. So the inspiration behind my session here at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference was really born out of breaking out one piece of the story find process and diving into it deeply and helping nonprofit organizations really solve one of their major problems, which is finding their best storytellers. Every organization has stories, but there are certain storytellers that will move an audience to act and certain storytellers that will maybe fall a little more flat. So it is my mission to help nonprofits find the people who will actually bring their organization to life and connect with their donors' hearts and their minds and ultimately move them to do something with what they just experienced. Amazing. What are the attributes of those best, most compelling, inspiring storytellers? It may seem really simple, but the best storytellers are those that are able to be vulnerable and who are willing to go to the hard places of their story. The struggle in a story is the story. If that struggle isn't there, or people aren't willing to go into the struggle, at the end of the day, the audience doesn't have anything that they can connect to. There's no human connection. That is my passion, is helping find those storytellers who are willing to be vulnerable, who really trust the organization. That's so key, too. They have to be they have to be willing to say, I trust that if I share my story with you, you are going to take great care of it. 
And then I also teach nonprofits how to find storytellers with really unique story details because you want your audience to take the story that you're telling into their future with them. You want them to remember that story a year from now. And so you have to find someone who has little unique nuances to their story that will stick in someone's mind. Mm, I love that. So trust, vulnerability, unique story details. Yeah, fabulous. You know, and one of the things that really struck me as I read the manuscript is because of your background in mental health, that you've gone through the training, you are a counselor, you've been trained in that, that you take such care when you talk about trust. Like some of these stories are born of significant trauma. And so how do we equip and empower people to tell their stories in a way that doesn't have them re-traumatized, but rather is like one more step forward in their healing journey? That is my greatest passion and mission in life is to teach organizations just that, how to take great care of their storytellers. You're right on. There are so many organizations that think we have to go out and find a story and tell it, but they don't give a whole lot of thought to what that's doing to the storyteller in the process. But I can not imagine anything more vulnerable than sharing with a crowd of people the hardest places of your journey, of your story, of your life. When I talk about the work in that way, I talk about, and I didn't invent this, I heard it and it really resonated with me. And that is telling the story from the scar, not the wound. That's so good. That is so 100% right on. I'm going to use that going forward. Do it. Take it. I took it from someone I, I, I would attribute to if I could remember. Yeah, that is so, so wonderful. How I found my way into this industry was my husband owned this production company and I worked as a mental health therapist. And we started working with an organization called Homes for Our Troops, and they build specially adapted homes for post 9-11 severely injured veterans. Mm. Their mission statement. That's a mouthful. Yes, it's a mouthful. And powerful work. Such powerful work. And they require every veteran who goes through their program to get their home to tell their story on camera which is incredibly intimidating. And if you can imagine telling the story of the worst day of your life, where you likely not only lost a piece of your body or a piece of your mind, but also your comrades and your friends, yeah. it is so hard. And so that's how I kind of entered into this work was getting to tell those stories as a therapist. Sitting down with them, we use a crisis counseling technique that I talk about in the book. It's called Doing the Dip where you start with kind of the status quo, you take someone down into the trauma of their story, and then you build them right back up the other side. So when they walk away from the interview, they're feeling empowered and excited about the fact that they're helping all of their fellow injured soldiers who are coming along behind them. But there are a lot of techniques that you can use to help your storytellers feel safe. And also then permission we make sure that if we're telling a trauma story that after the fact, after an interview, we've checked in with that person a couple of days later, we're checking in two weeks later, they have input into the edit of what stays and what goes. They always are in control. We're asking before an event, are they ready? So important to making certain we're telling those stories ethically, right? Empowering to the person generous enough to share their story and really ethically. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about consent, like your perspective on consent. I think consent is a long process. It's not a one-time thing. 
when we go into organizations to help find storytellers, we conduct discovery interviews with anyone that we're thinking about putting on camera. And through that process of discovery interviews, which are really broad, usually we'll spend an hour or two with a person just getting to know them, their story, their journey. Our team is trained with what to watch for in terms of trauma signs. So what it looks like when someone dissociates from their story, when they disappear from the room, when they go inside of themselves and you're kind of searching for how to draw them back up and out of it. We are looking for those signs of trauma within the discovery interview so that we can know if we're going to take another step with that person to actually tell their story for an organization. Because consent, sometimes people think that they owe it to the organization to tell their story instead of it being a thing that they're excited about. And you know this. Yeah, Yeah, the power dynamics of it. Yes, it's tricky. It's tricky to navigate. And sometimes that's why a third party is helpful. You can kind of weed that out of like, okay, how are you feeling about this? Are you excited? We can dive into how they, they feel about their story. Is there a lot of shame still overlaid on it? Are they proud of where they're at? Something that will be empowering at the end of the day and just looking through the discovery interview for those pieces. So that's a big piece of our consent process is just searching for where they're at in their own story. Amazing. You're talking about that here at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference, but it is woven. All of those tools and insights are woven throughout your book, Story Find. Yes, they are. That's the basis of it, is taking great care of the people that you're putting on camera, the people that you're putting in your newsletters, anyone who's agreeing to be the face of the organization, and making sure that you know as the nonprofit organization, how to find people who are ready. Because it can feel really ambiguous, but there are things that you can look for. Yeah. So unpack that a little bit. So juicy. It's those people who are passionate, excited, willing to go to the hard places, but you can successfully bring them back up out of the hard places. Yeah. Okay. So that's the key for me. If I'm doing a pre-interview, And I can bring someone back up out of the hard places. And at the end of it, they're saying, thank you for giving me this opportunity and this chance to share my story. It means so much to me. Like getting emotional thinking about specific people. Yeah. You know that they're ready. Yeah. But if they're kind of playing the shame game at the end of it, like, I'm so embarrassed. Maybe I shouldn't have told you that. Uh, Are you going to edit out pieces of this? I don't know that I want that piece or this piece in my story. Just those are red flag warning signs that they're not ready to be the voice or face mm-hmm. of your organization. In that moment, the pre-interview phase, when you find like, I don't think they're ready, how do you backpedal without them feeling like my story wasn't good enough? I didn't make the cut. That's such a good question too. So when we do, and I agree with you on the word interview, when we do the discovery conversations, yes. we t- just tell people we are story finding. We do not tell people that their story is going to be used in any specific way. We just want to know how our organization has impacted your life. Would you be willing to sit down and share with me? So there's never an expectation that, oh, this is going to be used for this specific initiative. It's just story gathering. So good. So good. So it doesn't, again, add another layer of trauma or shame or whatever that feeling is. Yes. And then you build them up at the end. You tell them how thankful you are and how you can tell how much they've grown and you're so excited to see where they go in the future. And you're excited for where they're at now too. So they leave feeling this sense of pride and acknowledgement. I've been seen. I've been heard. 
My story has value. Mm, because they came to do exactly what they were asked to do. They shared yeah. their story. Yeah. And that's enough. Yeah. So. So good. Yeah. Let's talk about Story Find, right? The book. Okay. Who was the primary audience you had in mind when you wrote the book and even designed the session that you're giving here at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference? We know it's nonprofits, but are there specific niches within the sector that you think this is especially valuable for? I think this is perfect for sort of the mid-sized nonprofits. It would be really hard to pull off if you're a one or two person shop, though you can certainly gain tools and techniques to apply from it. But in terms of using the whole process from start to finish, you really need to have someone who is dedicated to storytelling and going out into the world to find and tell those stories, not as a full time job, but someone who has that within their job description and the capacity to do it well. So a lot of those medium shop organizations is who this is perfect for. They're the ones on the ground doing the work themselves. They're likely not hiring an organization like ours to come in and support their efforts. They have to be able to do it themselves. That is, yeah, the inspiration and the audience behind wanting to give them the tools to be able to do what we do because it's not hard. It just takes intentionality. And once the process is laid out in front of you, and you can just follow the roadmap, you're going to end up with a great story or a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. You just follow yeah. the process. You talked about the importance of building trust with the storyteller. And I think that sometimes in social service organizations, and you know, I did most of my fundraising in children's mental health and behavioral health. And so I'm very sensitive to the protective nature of program folks, of clinicians, of social workers of you, right? <laughs> Your trained profession. How do I as a fundraising professional or a marketing professional or the chief story curator within an, an organization on staff, how do I build enough trust with the clinical folks to share, like to give me some access to talk about who might be willing to share their story? I literally just had this exact same conversation with someone yesterday. We set down on our yellow couch at our story find booth and workshopped this for like 20 minutes and where we landed together for her organization was to just take one step instead of trying to do the whole process so the one step for her was going to be going back and meeting with she has a team of eight therapists they also work with youth and abuse and neglect cases that are often court-ordered therapy cases and instead of just asking them for stories which is what she's been doing she is going to sit down with them and do a storytelling day from their perspective, where she's going to pre-interview essentially or have a pre-conversation with just the therapists and say, I'm not going to use this for anything, but I want to see what's out there. And one at a time for an hour each, she's just going to ask them questions, get to know who their caseload is, what, what they often see. And so she's going to start laying that groundwork of trust yeah. And confidence that she's not there to get something from them. She is there to learn and to listen and to start creating a culture of storytelling within the organization instead of trying to get something. Yeah. So just reversing that feel of like, I'm here because I need something from you to I'm here to listen. Yeah. I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn. I want to understand your world. I want to understand the people we serve. That's fantastic. What did you do? Can I ask you that? Yes. I often would, can I come to one of your 
Monday team meetings? Can I listen in? I want to understand what are the challenges. In fact, one of the first things I did when I came on board as the chief philanthropy officer at the Children's Center was I came to one of those meetings and I asked, what do you need? What do our children and families need that we can't currently provide them? And the answer was, we need bus tickets and granola bars. And I'm like, okay, because that's that, that scarcity. Like we just need, like we need families to be able to get here regardless of their own transportation challenges. We need them to have bus tickets. And when they show up, they're hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's after school, they're hungry. They need granola bars or something that's kind of non-perishable that we can have in our drawer. I'm like, okay, we will take care of that. Now, if I were one of our supporters and I walked in and wrote you a check for $100,000, what would you do with that? Mm. What are the needs of our families we can't currently get? And it's beyond those basic things because we'll address that. And so for them to understand that I cared about what they need to do good work to heal and empower children so they can become the amazing people they were born to be, they began to see that I wasn't showing up to your point because I wanted something. I wasn't coming to take, to exploit. I was coming to understand and to be part of the solution. Which is the point. That's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. Really to underscore your point, it's let's find common ground. Like we are all committed to making certain this mission delivers for those who receive our services. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Jen Love said something in her session yesterday. And it was fundraising isn't about funds. It's about care. Yeah, it's like part of the caring solution, right? It's the fuel. It is. And sometimes you can get so stuck in what you need out of it. to have a story at the end of the day or I have to have this or that. Under so much pressure, right? The newsletter, the event, the fill in the blank. Yeah. And I think, too, because we're so busy as fundraisers and marketers, like we're so busy. We rarely remember to circle back and say, hey, you know that story that we worked on together? I want to tell you what it helped create. I want to tell you the, re- the response that one of our supporters had about it from hearing it and what good things are happening. And that would have never happened without you creating a space for us to hear the story. Yes. I'm actually going to take that back to one of our organizations <laughs> good. tomorrow because I think that's their gap is the well starts to run dry of their, I call them their middlemen. So they are a research funding organization who funds doctors who do great research. I won't say anything more than that. But the stories they need are the patient stories. So they're often going to this well asking for stories, but there's a missing piece there, the thanking piece and the showing the impact to those doctors of what their generosity did in contributing a patient story to the process. And yes, people get burned out otherwise if you're not showing them what your willingness to do this for me did this. Yeah. So amazing. You know, something fun I've seen too. So if one clinician or one psychiatrist collaborates with you to share a story in a way that's empowering and ethical and all of that, and you circle back and say, this story helped make this happen. Some of the others who maybe held back, like, hey, Tammy, that story, that's okay. You got to hear my story. Right. And it becomes this like, you're priming the pump. Yeah. I love that. Yes. I'm going to suggest all of that to that organization (laughs) because I think it will do just that. I think the other 
physicians will be like, wait, what about my stories? Yeah. I know you've been asking me for the last three years. I have some. Would yeah. you like them? Yeah. Like, let's let's sit down. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Love so it. good. You talk about the purposeful storyteller list. Tell us more about that and why it's essential in the process of finding great stories. That is a good question. Creating a good list is the foundation of everything else going forward. And oftentimes we go into organizations and they'll be like, here's our great storyteller. Are they the best? Do they have these attributes? So the book really walks through like, okay, maybe they're the most outspoken voice. Maybe they've shared their story with you over and over again. So you feel like this is the path of least resistance to choose the storyteller and share them out in the world. But something is often missing in that. And that is that you haven't explored some of the quieter voices mm -hmm. within the organization. And sometimes those quieter voices are the ones that can make a deeper impact with your audience. They're the ones whose stories are not yet fully explored, sometimes even within themselves. Yeah. And who have not quite known how to put together the meaning that your organization has had to them. And so they will have within an interview or a conversation, they will have profound moments of reflection that you'll be able to take and share with the world for the first time. And there's something really beautiful about that. So when we go into organizations, we never want to run with the first person that comes to mind. We always want to explore. We always want to find out who's out there because the most powerful storytellers are going to come from those unexplored places mm -hmm. and going to be so beautiful at Amazing. the end of the day. Yeah. Amazing. A tactical question comes to mind. So you're sitting down, you're having a conversation with maybe an unsuspecting story sharer, right? Yep. Or anyone who has agreed to have this conversation with you. Are you taking notes? Are you recording? Are you video? Like, how do we capture the true reflection of what they're sharing without further intimidating them by scribing or clacking away on our keyboard or even the camera can be intimidating? Yes. So good. Thank you for bringing that up. Actually, I am a passionate, no note taking person. In my training as a therapist, we had to get therapy ourselves. And I remember so vividly walking into a therapist's office for one of my own sessions, and she would ask me questions, and then she would turn to the side and type on her computer as I answered. There was no human connection. Mm. I still remember walking out of her office swearing that I would never go back, and I never did, because all she was doing was trying to remember something herself. She wasn't trying to connect with me. She wasn't trying to get to know my story, trying to draw it out. It was a complete disaster. Yeah. So my vow that day, which I have carried into my work in storytelling, was to never make the person feel like they were under a spotlight, that they were being examined, that we were looking to obtain something from them. I never want someone to feel like they're answering in a right or wrong way. It is all about the connection. But the reality is you do need to remember what their story was at the end of the day. And there's also so many valuable things that you can look back and reflect on if you have good notes. So what we do is record every single person that we're considering as a storyteller. Video? Video. Video. Always mm -hmm. video. We use Zoom most of the time in person's a luxury. Yeah. But people are used to Zoom now too. Yeah. And so they aren't necessarily as aware of the camera. For our purposes, 
We also do want a little bit of that fear, though. We want to know how someone's going to respond on production day if a camera is going to shut them down. Sure. Well, we discover that in the discovery process. Mm-hmm. But there are so many cool things that come out of having the recordings. So as part of our process, we never take people too deep into their emotions during the discovery phase. We want to know that the emotion is there and that people are willing to go there. But if we see it, we're going to bring people right back up out of it because that's going to ruin it for the day that we're actually there to capture the story. Yeah. So it's just a little like toe in the water. Yes. Okay. Dipping it in, bringing them right back up out of it. But what's so beautiful about having the discovery conversations recorded is that we get to go back, watch through them. And one thing I talk about in the book is looking for the emotional touch points in someone's story. And for me, what is so beautiful is that most of the time, I didn't notice them when I was sitting there with the person. Maybe their eyes flickered away from me as I asked about something that seemed innocuous. But I'll make a note of that because there was probably an emotion there that they were avoiding. And so we can circle back on production day for us or storytelling day for you and hit those pieces where we saw that emotion might be present and really draw them out. So there's so many things that you need those interviews recorded because you want to go back and shape your story with them. You want to look for those emotional touch points and be ready. Yeah. In the video interviews or conversations that I've had. And, you know, we do not do that work. Like we work with people on telling their story, but we are not a video production company whatsoever. But we've worked with many. One of the things that I've learned from observing and collaborating, I've heard videographers say, we're just going to keep the camera rolling after Mm -hmm. the conversation ends. And oftentimes some of the best content comes up. I wanted your perspective on that. Absolutely true. We But on both ends of an interview, we roll before someone ever knows that we're rolling. Usually someone just taps me on the back and that's how I know, like, okay, we can kind of start to shift. People aren't expecting that. They've said their best things already. And same with at the end. It's almost like they'll start all over again. Because they trust you now. You have a relationship. Yeah, absolutely true. Oh, okay. That's good. So we'll say we're done, but we're not really done. And they, my team, by the way, did this to me. We did an interview for the book. Yeah. And it worked. They were interviewing me. I thought I was on. I had to give all of the right answers. They finished. And I started talking about it all over again. And I started doing weird things with the book. (laughs) And they recorded it all. And some of it made it out into the world. And I was so mortified in the moment. I was like, you did not just do that to me. And they're like, this is the best stuff. And it was. They're right. Yeah. Really authentic. Yeah. More conversational. Yes. Not thinking about the talking points you wanted to hit, but really speaking from your heart and your experience. It's all good. Can you share an example or a success story of an organization that benefited from your approach to story finding? Right. So it was a complete 180 for them. Yes. I will use the example that I talked about in my session. It was an organization called Concordia College, Alabama. They are in HBCU in Selma, they share a lot of really challenging student stories, people who've come from really difficult backgrounds. And so we set into this with the pure story finding process of working with their communications team, working with their development team to create an initial list of storytellers, which ended up being about 20. 
because there was a lot of trauma, this was a time where I went down there myself to do the discovery interviews. I wanted them to be in person because you can see a lot more of the trauma response in person versus over Zoom. So I wanted to make sure that we were finding storytellers that were ready to share their stories. And we worked through a day of 20 different discovery interviews, and we walked away with probably five great options. And at the end of the day, we selected three who told their stories for the university. The story of this woman named Rita is my favorite. She was told when she was in high school by her guidance counselor that she was not college material Mm. and that she should get a job at a sewing factory that was local to their town. Oh, and that's what she did. She got a job at the sewing factory, even though she was in the top 10% of her class. Someone said to her, I don't see any potential in you. There's no use in having this conversation. Wow. Go on over to the sewing factory. It's both heartbreaking and infuriating simultaneously. But what is so interesting about that piece is how all of us can relate to being told at some point in our lives that we're not good enough. And so I love that piece, too, as the audience sort of joins in that story. We all get that. Or we've had someone close to us who's experienced that. Yeah, we can relate. Yes. And so we want to champion her at the end of the day. And someone from the university approached her later in life and said, I think you would be an amazing teacher. Would you consider coming to our university for some classes? And she was like, sure, I guess. And she has won awards for her work as an elementary school teacher. Like, she's the most amazing teacher in the world. But she came out of that story finding process of the school knew to look for someone who trusted them as an organization deeply, who was far enough along in her own story that she was ready to share. And she could be vulnerable. She went to those places that made that human connection at the end of the day. And her story, even though we told it like 10 years ago, is something that people still talk to us about because she was just so willing to share the hard, to share the struggle, and to be empowered by it at the end of the day. Yeah. And so proud to have walked away. At the end of her interview, we had a clip of this as well we shared in the session. She said, you don't know what you've done for me. This opportunity has changed my life. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I love, whether it's at the end of an event, maybe we've shown a video and then Lights come up and standing at the podium is the person who tells the rest of the story, right? One of my favorite things about that scenario is when the event is complete and there's a long line of people who want to shake their hand. May I hug you? I just want to acknowledge you. Your story inspires me. And it just, again, it just, it tells the story, the person who's generous enough to share their story. Like you have made such an impact, your courage, your drive, your story of transformation has changed me. So beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I remember at the Children's Center, Miss Christine, and she came up to me, similar to what you're saying, and she said, you know, I'm a different person now. I could never imagine standing in front of 500 people and sharing my story and our healing journey as a family. And I'm so proud and I'm changed. It's so cool. So cool. Along these same veins, someone at this conference asked me, how could you leave doing therapy for this? You knew that you were changing lives through therapy. 
And I said so confidently, I know that I get to touch lives through this work because the process of sharing our stories and the meaning making behind it, it's like two years worth of therapy in one session. It's amazing. It's amazing the healing power that it has. And it's not about me at all. It's about the storyteller and getting to walk alongside of them for a small little piece of their journey and helping them make sense of it in an hour-long interview and coming out the other side with them being, like you just said, I had no idea I could even do that. Yeah. And what this will mean to so many other people is key. The ripple effect of hearing that story. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Have no doubt, storytellers, you are still changing lives. And to the ones who think that they shouldn't ask, that they're somehow shaming the people who they're asking for stories. Yes. That's just a shift mentally. And when you start to see the impact that what you're doing has on your storytellers, all of that fear starts to go away as well. Mm. I love that. Yeah. So beautiful. Kristen, as we wrap up our conversation today, which I secretly wish would never end. What is the primary takeaway you want people to walk away with out of your session here at the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference and even out of reading your book? What are the, the, the biggest takeaways? This is something I learned in my counseling training, all the way back to all of the theories and techniques and tricks that you can use to draw out someone in a counseling session. And the same thing, all of the techniques and things you can use to draw out a storyteller. At the end of the day, work on yourself first. Work on your motives for finding a story in the first place. Work on yourself and how you take care of those people throughout the process. Work on yourself afterward and how you would want to be treated in the aftermath of sharing your story. And if you do nothing else and just that, you're going to be successful in telling your stories because people will know that you care about your story, that you care about the impact that it has on the world. And that will move not only your storytellers to want to give more, but it will move your audience to act. So that's the key takeaway. There are so many things you can use to be better at storytelling. There's a process you can use to find and tell your stories, but you are the key. Your Work heart. on yourself first. Yes. Oh, such great advice. Thank you, Kristen. You've been so generous with our listeners. And I know like they're walking away. I'm walking away with additional tools and ideas and more things to reflect on. Before I let you go, at the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid fire insightful questions to add a little more value even. So are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Okay. What's the best fundraising advice you've ever received? Oh, my gosh. Okay, no, I'm not ready. Okay, the best fundraising advice that I've ever received is tell your stories. Tell your stories. Very good. What book do you recommend to our audience and why? Well, besides my own. <laughs> Jen Gottlieb's new book, Be Seen. Yeah. I think it's important for fundraisers to recognize the power of being seen themselves and being authentic to who they are as fundraisers and also to the organizations that they serve. Yeah, I'm definitely going to put that on my reading list. I think that as fundraisers, our job, we so often, we're just shining a light on everyone yes. else. Our donors, our volunteers, our CEO, our board members, those who are participating in our programs. And we kind of step into the dimness. Yes. Yes. Be seen. Be seen. Be seen. Love it. 
What are the three most important traits a successful fundraiser must possess? Passion, resilience, and a dedication to working on themselves. So good. What's your favorite fundraising application or tool? Now, I love Dipjar, the little credit card readers. I think it's so fun. And when I go to an event that has one, all I want to do is put in my card and see the response that lights up on the other end and the sounds that it makes. It's great. That's so fun. So fun. What's your favorite conference and why? Oh, nonprofit storytelling conference for sure, because of all of the energy and engagement and the people who are here who really just want to drink in knowledge and take it back excitedly into their lives. Yeah, it is such a loving community. So passionate, so caring. Mm. Knowing what you know now about fundraising and storytelling, what advice would you give your younger self just getting started in the profession? Trust that you do know what you're doing. Don't doubt so much. And also, this is from Jen Gottlieb's book as well. Start before you're ready. Mm. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just start doing it. You're going to learn as you go. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. One of my mantras is progress, not perfection. Love it. Right? Yeah. So good. Thanks again for joining us, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my gosh. I've learned so much. I'm sure our listeners have gotten lots of wonderful nuggets. If you want to learn more about Kristen and her amazing work and her new book, Story Find, we've included links in the show notes, as well as links to the other resources that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising and your storytelling so you can transform the world. Love it. You're amazing. You're amazing. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a fundraising transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.